Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. So this week is another themed week. This week we're going to be looking at the women who make late night television shows, both in front of and behind the camera. I hope you'll stick around for Thursday's show. I'm going to be talking to Allison Camillo, who's the executive producer of Full Frontal with Samantha B. But today I've got a very special guest as well. I'm talking to Desi Lydic, who's a Daily Show correspondent and uh, just an awesome, awesome person. I had such a great time talking to her, and I hope you'll enjoy this interview. You know, the thing with late night television is we've all been tuning in, I think, a lot more to it, certainly in the last six months, but really in the last four years now. Late night TV has become the place where we all make sense of the world, I think, and kind of can process the day's news. And of course, there's a million choices for late night shows as well now. So (laughs) that makes it even a more popular genre. But the truth is, female representation on late night shows is certainly not equal. And uh, I think it's fair to say there's a long way to go. Certainly in front of the camera, there's not that many shows right now that are fronted by women. But even behind the camera, I think it's really important to have women writers, women producers, women on the technical crew. And so this week is just a chance to celebrate some of those amazing, talented women that are making it happen day in, day out. And, you know, speaking of women, I feel like we are at a really important point right now. And uh, it's something I want to talk a little bit about. And that is the announcement of Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's running mate. I don't think it was unexpected at all, right? If you've been watching this race at all, you knew that Joe Biden was going to pick a woman. Kamala is just so incredibly talented. She is so smart. She's so fun and funny, but she's also just tough as nails. And I can't wait to see what she does in that office. I think she was a phenomenal choice. And it's funny because she was always someone that I had my eye on as a vice presidential pick from the beginning. My money in the primary was on Elizabeth Warren. She's my home senator here in Massachusetts. And I just think she had laid out a phenomenal plan for how to help our country in very progressive ways. But I've been saying for more than a year that my dream ticket would have been Warren as president and Kamala as vice president. I thought those two together would have just kicked some major ass. And I would have loved if that could have happened. But I also would have been really comfortable with Kamala as the nominee. I think she would have been a fantastic president. And I'm really, really happy that she's the vice presidential nominee. And uh, can't wait to see what she does in office. You, you will notice uh, when I talk to Desi, we do reference the vice president a little bit. And at the time, we didn't know that Kamala was going to be picked. This was obviously, we recorded this before the announcement, but now we all know. And uh, yeah, when I read it on Twitter, I got emotional. I teared up and I didn't expect to, but uh, I think it's really important that everybody across America can see themselves represented in the highest offices in the land. Little boys, little girls, people of all races, people of all backgrounds. So Kamala. That's all I'm going to say there. So exciting. So Desi Lydic has been a Daily Show correspondent since 2015. She joined when Trevor Noah took over the program. And you'll hear her talk in this interview about her audition process and uh, how she came into it and what her first couple of months on the job were like. Because, uh, well, you'll hear it from her. But uh, it it was an exciting time in one's life to get hired. 
And uh, she has just been kicking ass. She is so funny. She is so talented. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I wish more people had seen, I remember hearing about this about a year ago, is her special that was on Comedy Central. It's called Desi Lydic Abroad. And, you know, as we're talking about women in late night this week, this special really looks at the role of women across the world and looking at countries that have done a good job of closing the gender gap. America, at the time this special was recorded, was number 49 in equality. We've now slipped to number 53, so uh, moving in the wrong direction there. But she had toured Iceland, Namibia, and Spain, looking at how those countries have closed the gender gap. And if you like Daily Show pieces, this is like a 45-minute field piece from The Daily Show. It's so well-produced. It's so funny. And the only thing that really bummed me out about it, again, is that more people didn't see it and that it was hard to find now. I ended up renting it through Vudu, which I'd never even heard of before, but I, I saw on Google that I could use Vudu to watch this. So I downloaded that app. Uh, it's also available to rent through Apple TV, iTunes. Uh, and if you have Comedy Central, if you're a subscriber to Comedy Central, it looks like if you verify your cable subscription, you can watch it on Comedy Central's website. I don't have cable, so I wasn't able to do it that way. But this is special that I just wish it was on like Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu or, you know, somewhere where people could watch it, YouTube even, because Desi just does such a great job sort of laying out the issues with, with the gender gap and looking at the potential solutions. And like a lot of things, especially in the last four years, you look at other countries around the world and say, whoa, that makes sense. If they can do it, why can't we? So if you have a chance, go check out Desi Lydic Abroad. Uh, one other quick note, too. You'll hear me reference in here uh, Amber Ruffin as a, as a writer on Late Night with Seth Meyers. The other announcement that happened between the time we recorded this and the time we're airing this is that it had just been announced that Amber Ruffin has a new show on Peacock. So that is awesome news. But I just I didn't want you to think I hadn't heard that news. It's super exciting. And again, it's more women getting more exposure in the late night space. But uh, that hadn't happened at the time we recorded this. So lots of exciting stuff. I'm so happy for this interview. I hope you enjoy it too. Here is my conversation with Daily Show correspondent, Desi Lydic. Hi, Desi. Heath, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Hanging in there. Yeah. Well, thank you for making time for this. I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you. Oh, I am too. I think what you're doing is so cool. I, I'm, I've been listening to some episodes and it's great. It's such a, a nice creative way to make use of this crazy time we're in yeah well you know I'm, I'm originally in the tv business i was a producer and director for like 15 years and for yes. the types of shows i was doing at least that work has completely dried up so it's been a chance to, to stay busy and you know kind of see what everyone else is up to and you know you guys have been crushing yeah. it over at the daily show just keeping that train moving the whole time oh thank you for saying that i mean i have to say i'm i'm i feel incredibly grateful that i get to work on a show that is still going during this time because it is so rare. Most productions have completely stopped. And I feel really lucky to be part of something that is not only still in production, but we can we can talk about what's going on in the world. So it feels really fulfilling at the moment. Yeah, it's so relevant. You're right. And, and you guys have, have expanded from just the regular half hour up to 45 minutes. And by the end of the year, they're saying up to an hour, right? Yes. Yes, <laughs> we are. We are. I mean, it's blown my mind because it, when, when this all started to happen, when it became abundantly clear that we could not shoot in the studio, you know, everyone's 
kind of, of course, in a panic and going, are we going to be able to continue on? Are we going to have to take an extended hiatus? What are we going to do? I just give Trevor and the producer so much credit. This is really a testament to the people that work at our show. They were able to figure out how to quickly execute short form episodes digitally and then slowly started to expand to the point where we could prove to the network that we can actually go linear and then from there, figuring out how to extend to 45 minutes. And, and yeah, hopefully it looks like we're going to be an hour by the end of the year. Wow. The great thing is we're able to get these interviews remotely that may have been a little more difficult to get before because everyone is just shooting virtually. So people are more, more available and we're able to talk to some really, really cool guests. Yeah, I remember Dr. Fauci was, you guys were one of the first late night shows, I think, to, to interview him and, and really have an in-depth conversation yeah. with him, I think. Yeah, yeah, we were. We were. We were the first late night show to, to, to get him. And the, the interview was incredible. It really, I mean, I I was watching because I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do? Mask? No mask. Distance? Right. Don't distance. Where, what are we, can I leave my house? It was, uh, yeah, it was really informative. Yeah. So what would I just I, I guess let me back up before we get too much into the show. I'm just curious sort of what the last five months have been like for you. Like, do you live in the city? Is that have you been in the city the whole time or what? what's that experience been like? I do. I'm, we're in New York. I live here with my husband and my four year old son. Yeah. And we're in a, a tiny two bedroom apartment. And we have been. Yeah, we've been laying low and staying here in New York. We did just recently uh, rent a car and drive down to Kentucky to see my parents uh-huh. for a little bit as safely as possible. And, uh, and that was, we really needed that. We definitely could use a little, uh, just, just a change of scenery and a little space. And that really saved us. Um, but we've been mostly here in New York. It's been kind of wild trying to navigate working from home and remote learning with my son and, and just like, four-year-old boys have so much energy. So right. just figuring out a safe way to get them out of the house to run around and burn off steam every now and again. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. That's good. Yeah. My son is also four and I have a seven-year-old daughter as well. And, you know, we're fortunate. I live about 45 oh minutes gosh. outside Boston. So we've got a, a decent sized yard and, you know, they can go out there and, and oh. run around and stuff. But I always just think about that with people that live in the city of just like, how do you, how do you get them even just like in and out of the house safely? Like, you know, navigating elevators and just things like that. That must oh, be I know. such a challenge. It's definitely a process. You really, there's no more just like spontaneous, let's get out of the house. I mean, yeah. it is a whole procedure. It's like packing up for a road trip. You got to get your mask and your hand sanitizer and, and your bag, but not too much stuff. It's a whole process, but it's getting easier and easier. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm grateful we are all healthy and uh, and that we're even able to be working and throughout yeah. this whole period of time. Definitely. It's amazing how quickly kids can adapt to like both my kids. They're, they're very comfortable <laughs> now in masks and like, you know, they, they don't mind wearing them. And like we're, we've always been sort of cautious of like, you know, all right, how long are they going to last in them? And if you just say you have to wear a mask while we're at this place. They just do it. You know, they're just used to it now. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I feel like my husband and I are having a much more difficult time adapting to all of these changes. Yeah. And my kid is just like, yeah, no big deal. I yeah. mean, he, he immediately transitioned into virtual learning. He was in pre-K this past year and had no issue with it. I mean, sure, the kids get up and kind of wander around a little bit, but he was fully willing to accept it. It's like, nope, this is 
yep, I'm getting on my my computer class. This is the way it is now. Yeah, I feel like it's They're almost pretty adaptable. Like, right. Like, you know that thing like where you hand your kid an iPad and they just sort of know how to use it and all the older people look at them and they're like, oh, wow, like that kid's so smart. How does he know how to use an iPad? But like, that's just the <laughs> thing they know. Like, it's kind of the same with all this, you know, virtual learning and stuff where it's like, oh, that's what school is. Okay. You know, I have six months experience that tells me it's something different. So if you're telling me that's what exactly. it is now, that's totally what it is. That's what it is. And yeah, we know we know all about the iPad way too well. I, yeah. I started out one of those parents like, oh, we're not we're not going to expose him to too much technology until he gets a little bit older. Well, let me tell you, this quarantine situation has definitely expedited the process. Yeah. I've basically hired Disney Plus to be his <laughs> nanny. So you need it. there's no shame in, yeah. in constant iPad, computer. It's all screens around here. Yeah, totally. So I want to talk, uh, you know, I have a lot of questions just sort of about how The Daily Show has been working during this time. I want to go back first, though, and just sort of ask, like, do you remember sort of what those last days in the office or in the studio were like before everything shut down? Like, what was your last time being at work like? I remember being, we, we kind of went through this process where we knew what was happening. We sort of, we stopped any travel because normally for in the field department the correspondents are traveling and going to you know conventions sometimes or, or places where there are large crowds or we're doing man on the street and we kind of stopped we put a pin in booking some of that stuff towards the end there and then I remember the the producers deciding and this must have been I think it was like the first week in March or maybe the, maybe the last week in February the producers it was a Thursday or a Friday, they decided the following week we're going to film in the studio, but with no audience. Okay. And then by the time Sunday rolled around, we were not going back in. Wow. It, it happened so quickly within a matter of two days. And, and as it was for everyone, things were just changing so rapidly. And they, they kind of put a pin in, in the show in production for maybe about a week. Meanwhile, Trevor started recording and they put that out and that was sort of a got a lot of hits and then we were sort of experimenting with trying to figure out a way to get the show back on even if it's in shorter segments so I think that they they put out maybe a 15 minute episode that was all sort of experimental just on our digital platform and that seemed to work pretty well so they expanded it to be a little bit longer a little a little closer to what the show looks like and that seemed to work okay and eventually the producers and Trevor were able to show Comedy Central that we could put this out. We could do it from home. We're sort of doing trial and error with all, all the technology and that we can get back on linear. So we were back on linear within a couple of weeks. And then within a month, I think we were expanding to 45 minutes. Wow. Um, I, I want to know, too, you talked about sort of, you know, your role as a correspondent and, and the field work and just how important travel and, you know, sort of being on location is to some of your pieces and, yeah. you know, just getting the humor from from sitting across from somebody. Like, how has your mindset had to change in terms of just how you approach segments now? It's totally different. I mean, in some ways, it's totally different. In some ways, we're still able to dig into, you know, the heart of what we're trying to do. I definitely miss getting out into the field. The field pieces have been my favorite part of being on the show. I love traveling. I love jumping into different environments and sitting down with people who have completely different mindsets and just exploring different worlds. I love man on the street. There's so much gold in doing man on the street segments. Totally. Um, and, and unfortunately we're not really able to do that right now. 
And there's a little bit missing when you can't sit in a room with someone. And I really like to feel the tension. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think that kind of, I enjoy that, that like pushing the boundaries a little bit within an interview and kind of starting off easy and then seeing, you know, seeing what buttons I can push and, you know, how far I can take it or what jokes I can kind of get away with. And you can really feel that in a room. You can't quite feel it as well on uh, online, you know, on, on a Zoom call. It's hard to gauge a little right. bit. But, you know, the thing that I'm actually really enjoying is there's a little, I, I feel like a lot of the comedy is coming from a more organic place. Things are a little looser right now. I think there's, there's, it, it all has more of kind of an improvised feel. We can't depend on any sort of big sight gags or right. prop comedy or any of that stuff. So we're really getting more comfortable with just having kind of more honest conversations. And the jokes that come up out of that are, are coming out a little more organically. And then the people that we're, we have been able to talk to have been really interesting and helpful during this time. So there, there are definitely perks to doing it this way. But I, I do look forward to getting back out into the field and traveling. Yeah, totally. I, I wonder, too, just in general, I've always wondered sort of in those field pieces, like, I feel like part of your job is to sort of play devil's advocate. And, you know, obviously you play it big for comedy, right? But like, you're right. sort of disagreeing with the person across from you. And I'm just I always marvel that the people across from you don't really break or they don't try to they don't try to join in on the joke. They don't try to, you know, yes, and you at all like they just, usually they just kind of they give you this stare like, <laughs> what are you doing? What Like, how am I supposed to be react? Like, I, I just wonder, like, how do you master that? I guess the art of of conducting those interviews where you can kind of be zany and you're getting the person across from you to play perfectly straight. Yeah, it's sometimes it happens from a real place sometimes it, it honestly organically unfolds like that yeah. um, and we try to book that way we really try to book people who are very passionate in their beliefs and we just kind of the producer will give them guidance and, and just say look like be yourself Desi's going to be a complete lunatic she's going to present something that's completely illogical just be yourself okay. like you don't need to go in on the joke just have a conversation react as you would being you in this crazy scenario so sometimes we give them a little a little heads up and and every now and again we'll get someone that we interview who wants to participate in the comedy and and every now and again that works yeah. but usually people are so passionate about what they're talking about that they are taking it very seriously right well because i remember like when the show first launched i mean like going back to the craig kilborn days like no one really knew what it was unless you were watching comedy central and so I feel like the correspondents right. could kind of get away with, you know, we're doing this thing it's called The Daily Show, just, you know, go along with it. And people would just be baffled. But to me, like, you know, 25 years on, everybody knows what the show is at this point and has seen it. So it's just, you know, getting that participation has always been interesting to me because I'm like, don't you know what you're yeah. in for? Like, haven't you seen the show? Yeah, exactly. And that always sort of surprises me, too. Like, wow, I can't believe I got away with saying that. And they didn't reach across and punch me in the face. Right. I mean, we've had some close calls, but, but still, it's pretty amazing what you can get away with yeah. uh, these days. But yeah, I mean, I will say that the longer that the show goes on, it, it does. It gets tricky getting those bookings. There are a lot of people that we reach out to who we really want to speak to who are not willing to participate because they know too well. But, you know, the show also, I've sat in, you know, a thousand edits for these pieces and the producers and the editors are really, really 
cautious about making sure that we keep everything in context. Yeah. Even though we edit for comedic value, we never take anything out of context. We right. really try to have some honesty with the pieces too. So we can honestly say that when we're securing the bookings, like, look, we are not going to take anything that you say out of context. We'll keep it true to what your beliefs are. <laughs> These are your words. We're not going to break and bite. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If so. you look crazy, that's on you. Oh, that's that's, funny. that's on you, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the types of pieces that I've seen that you've been really successful with sort of during this at-home model are uh, getting into the Fox News realm. You know, you've done these Fox Splains things where <laughs> the gag is that you've been watching yes. Fox News for 48 hours straight or, you know, these Zoom calls <laughs> with Janine Pirro or Rudy Giuliani. Like, I, I, I've heard you talk about coming from a very Republican family and, you know, growing up in Kentucky mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, how much of your own family <laughs> history or family dynamics <laughs> are you are you pulling into those segments? I mean, I... Uncle Rudy is not my actual uncle, and, <laughs> and Auntie yeah. is not my actual aunt, <laughs> I will say. But that being said, uh, yes, there are many avid Fox News watchers in my family. Yeah. Very, very close relatives, lifelong Republicans. In fact, when I went home, <laughs> when I went home recently, I was in my teenage bedroom, and I started going through envelopes, and my parents had, like, set aside some school photos in this envelope and I pulled it out and it was like, there was like one photo school photo of me from grade school. And then like 10 copies of Ronald Reagan on top. (laughs) Like, so even in my school photos, my parents have like been like, but don't get it twisted. We are, we are Republicans and Ronald Reagan gets top, top billing here. (laughs) How funny. So that's kind of the family that I come from. And yeah, they, they definitely watch Fox news. So it feels so fulfilling to be able to do these pieces. There's some of my favorite pieces that I've done on the show so far since I started because I I watch Fox News just to kind of check in and see what they're talking about and figure out what their spin is. And it's just like, it blows my mind that I get in these conversations with some of my family members. And it's tricky. At a certain point, you kind of have to go like, all right, let's just set it down for a little while and and make dinner let's finish our day we'll come back and revisit this right but it's amazing how powerful that news organization has become and and how much it really has an impact on people's beliefs yeah no it's true and and i feel like in those segments the fox plains segments in particular that you've done there there's something in just sort of the uh the manic anger (laughs) that you managed to capture and just sort of throwing vocab words out that without any context, you know, that it's just like George Soros and what about Benghazi? You know what I mean? Like there's just these, these trigger words that like people, yeah, when they watch it, they just kind of nod along and they're like, yeah, what about that? And you're like, they didn't actually say anything. They just, they said a noun. Like, why are you so upset about this? Yeah. It really goes to show how powerful fear is and how there's like, there are these negative connotations with these buzzwords and it, it packs such a punch that all you need to say are, are 20, you know, buzzwords in no logical fashion. And you're like, yes, exactly. And yep. that is why we will not wear a mask. Right. You know, it's like, it, it, it blows my mind. And I've had those conversations with my family members where I'm starting, you do start to pick up on these buzzwords that that fox news will just regurgitate constantly yeah you're going okay that's where that's coming from it's so fascinating to me have you had any luck sort of changing your family's mind or or bringing them around at all or is it just kind of 
as you say, you, you say your opinion, they say their opinion, and then you go make dinner. Like, have, have you been able to, to coax them into your way of thinking at all? We've had some really in-depth conversations, and I feel like we've made a little bit of progress in at least understanding where each other is coming from. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, even though, you know, my parents are very Republican and they do watch Fox News, there's still a lot of common shared values. And, you know, they are out there wearing masks and treating this pandemic as it should be treated as, as something very, you know, serious. And there are things that we can kind of agree on. We've had some tough conversations. And, you know, sometimes there's there's usually is something, something good that comes out of it. Yeah. Now, are they going to vote Democrat in the election? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. So I haven't made that much progress, but I will not give up. Yeah. (laughs) What's their reaction to sort of the work you do? Like maybe your parents or even, you know, extended family. Like, is there is there pride in it? Is there is there shame in it? Are they do they try to just sort of ignore it and talk about other things? Like How do how do they react to you being on Comedy Central? I, I definitely I definitely have some family members that probably just want to pretend like it's not happening. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, and my my parents in particular are incredibly supportive. They record the Daily Show every single night. They go through. They never miss anything that I've done. They're extremely, yeah, they, I think they're very proud, even if they're not in alignment on, on all things politics. So I'm lucky. I I come from a really supportive, loving family and they knew that this was my dream to do this. And that the daily show in particular was something I was a huge fan of for a long time. And that I wanted this job for quite some time. So they're really proud and they, they are very supportive at the end of the day. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk sort of about how you landed up at the Daily Show and just sort of, you know, you you don't have a stand-up background at all, right? Yours is more on the improv side. Yes, exactly. I have, I kind of jumped in, I moved to Los Angeles when I was 19 and got into improv pretty early. I was in a scene study class for young actors right when I moved there. And anytime we did improv, I started to go, oh, this is fun. Like, this is really scary. It scares me a little bit. And I think it'd be really good for me. So I, I kept kind of pushing myself there. And then I found the Groundlings and I was at the Groundlings for a little while. And then I went over to an improv theater called Improv Olympic. I think it turned into IOS. Yep. And I think it's actually not there anymore at this time, unfortunately. And I did long form improv heralds and, and all that for a while. And I loved it. I, I think like as a person, I can be very type A and detail oriented and I can get kind of fixated on things being perfect all the time. And improv was like, it's just so freeing for me creatively because you have to throw all of that out the window and just be present and be in the moment and make big choices. And I loved it. I really loved it. So yeah. that, yeah, I, I definitely have an improv background, but never tried stand up. Yeah. Interesting. It, it definitely lays the groundwork for the work you do now, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think there are there are parts of the job. I think that's why I enjoy the field so much and, and doing man on the street, doing these interviews, because you can, you know, a lot of that ends up being improvised. You can only think of a few jokes to have in your back pocket ahead of time. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's an organic conversation. You're not with another actor. You're with a person yeah. uh, who's not acting, who's being themselves. So a lot of it ends up being improv, and that's definitely come in handy. And then the studio stuff, you know, that is where like being a stand-up comedian and, and the the other correspondents that I work with, like they excel so much in front of that audience in a studio situation because that's 
skill set of feeling out the audience's reaction and knowing how to how to sort of transition into a different joke or yeah. setting something up. They're like total masters at that. That's so interesting. Just sort of how everyone's different backgrounds have different strengths that play into different parts of the show. Yeah. That's so cool. How did you actually yeah. land the Daily Show? Like, what was what was sort of the audition process, and and you know. How, how did it come to be for you? So I, I actually auditioned for the show a couple of times over the years. I think the time that I got it was the third time that I auditioned. And it was in November. I had just gotten married in September for the, the auditioning process. They basically, the producers will send you two pieces that have already aired on the show that other correspondents have done. And then they ask you to write your own piece. So there's quite a bit of preparation. Like you really have to be ready to buckle in and, and sit down and, and do it. And, yeah. and these are all I, desk I, pieces, right? It's it's just going back and forth with the host, essentially? Yes, exactly. They're like stand-up or, or desk chats, yep. um, essentially. Where Yeah. And I actually auditioned when it was John, when John was still there. It was the year, his last year there. I wrote my piece and I performed the two pieces that they sent me and just kind of made them my own and sent in a tape in November and I didn't hear anything back. And I thought, okay, that's three times that I auditioned, didn't hear back, probably just not going to happen. And I kind of went about my business and, and started going out for other things. And then two months later, we got a call from one of the producers Jen Flans at The Daily Show, uh, who is still our EP and showrunner right now. And she was just kind of checking in and going, is she still available? Is uh, is she on anything right now? And of course, we, we were like, I'll, I'll pass up and be there tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Whatever you need, I'm, I'm ready to start. And she's like, okay, hold your horses. We're just checking in. Let's uh, we'll, we'll just kind of play things out. And in the meantime, John was making his transition. He had decided then shortly after he was leaving and then they needed to find their, their new host. And then eventually they kind of, they picked Trevor and Trevor was starting the job. And by the time summer came around, so they ended up calling me back in July to come meet Trevor. So I, I submitted my tape in November I got called to come to New York to meet Trevor and audition again in July. And during that period of time, you know, my husband and I had been together for five years and we were newly married and, you know, finally kind of went like, we want a family. Let's just see what happens. This could be a long process. Yep. And boom, we got pregnant. So <laughs> right away. By the time I came, right away. Just my luck. So by the time we, uh, I went to, to New York to meet with Trevor, I was four months pregnant. And here I'm going, oh, my God, this is, this is my dream job. I would be there in a second, but what are they going to say here? I'd be starting the job. By the time I started, I'd be six months pregnant on camera. Like right. they'd, they'd have to be okay with that, right? And then I'm going, do I tell them? Do I wait and see if I get the job and then tell them? And I ended up kind of deciding, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet Trevor, I'm going to audition, and then I'll pull Jen Flans, our executive producer, aside afterwards and tell her, just to, just to be totally upfront. And I did that. I 
met with Trevor. I did my audition. And then I waited like a weirdo in the waiting room for like 45 minutes. People kept telling me, you can go now. You know, yeah. we don't need you for anything else. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I'm just going to, I just want to chat with Jen really quick. So they're going, who is this weird actress? Right. Is she feeling insecure about her performance? What does she need to hear? So Jen comes out and I'm so nervous because I'm just, being an actor, an actress in Hollywood, and you hear these horror stories about actresses getting pregnant and they're destroying their careers and right. going like, how are they going to respond to this? And I say to her, you know, this is my dream job. And if you guys were to ask me to join the show, I would be here. Just know that I would be here tomorrow, but you should know I'm four months pregnant. I would be starting the job six months pregnant. So just so you know, I just wanted to be totally honest about that. And she, without even batting an eye, she was like, great, congratulations. That's fantastic. We would use it or or we won't use it. You can talk about it or you don't have to. She's like, we've done it before. We'll do it again. Perfect. So that's the moment that I went like, okay, this truly is a dream job. And, uh, you know, this is where I want to be. That's exactly what you want to hear in that moment. That's so awesome. Yeah. It, it, it's exactly what you should, what any woman should hear in that situation with any production or right. any producer. I mean, it's the way that it just should be across all fields, yeah. um, but it's just not. Right. So it, it was really reassuring to hear that. Yeah, definitely. And and this transitions nicely. I wanted to talk about your special from last year abroad that was sort of looking at yeah. uh, you know women's issues across uh, across the world. Really, you know, part of the the genesis of this was the U.S. was ranked 49th in gender equality at the time. I think the most recent rating mm-hmm. were down to 53rd, so not not making great progress yes. there. But uh, <laughs> looking at nope. uh, looking at Iceland and Namibia and Spain and sort of seeing these were all countries that ranked higher than the U.S and sort of seeing what they were doing to help with gender equality. Uh, and Iceland, one thing that stood out to me in that was offering nine months parental leave for both parents, not just maternity leave, but, yeah. you know, fathers could stay home. And just sort of, you know, in thinking about your own experience and in thinking about what you saw in Iceland, how critical is parental leave to helping close the gender gap? I think it, it makes a huge difference. I think it's incredibly critical because it's not just about, both partners, you know, male and female, sharing the burden, right? It's, yep. it's about the employer not seeing their female employee getting pregnant as a detriment. Yep. So when, when employers know that the father is just as likely to take time off for his child, then they're not going to have any sort of biases when it comes to promoting women, hiring women between a certain like childbearing, childbearing ages, it completely levels the playing field. And also not only that, but to have that, that period of time with your child, you know, both parents is, is so precious. The Daily Show was very generous in my parental leave, but you know, I, I still probably could have taken more time. I mean, it was, fortunate and that I lived really close to the studio and that was really helpful. But, but, you know, it, it really, it makes such a difference. And it's unfortunately women, you know, mothers and fathers aren't really supported that way in this country. And you really think about single parents with that are shouldering the entire burden of bringing in the income and the child rearing and sometimes multiple children. And it, it really has made such an impact in that country. I wish that we had that here and and hopefully we will someday yeah i mean it's the crazy thing here of like 
you can you can take up to 12 weeks and we won't give away your job but that <laughs> that may or may not be paid depending on your employer and as you say like a lot of scenarios you know single parents and in other cases too of just like okay i can take 12 weeks but unpaid can i afford to do that or do i need to go back to work you know, two weeks later or a month later or whatever it is. Like it just, exactly. yeah, they're these terrible decisions. Yeah. They're, it's a decision that it, it, no parent wants to have to make, especially, you know, some mothers end up having a C-section and have to recover for right. a certain period of time just for their physical health. So then they're feeling pressure to go back to work and they physically are not healthy enough to do it. They could be putting their own health at risk. You know, maybe they're putting their child in a situation where they don't feel totally comfortable with the caretaking, you know, facility or bringing, having to bring their child to work or having to work from home and their employer docking them. Yeah. It's a terrible decision for, for women to have to make. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, uh, looking at Namibia and, uh, you know, you, you talked a lot about sort of the women's role in politics there. And it made me think Mm -hmm. of, some of the progress we're making, obviously, we're, we're not close to to equal yet, but just sort of seeing, you know, right. the, the squad coming in uh, to Congress in, in 2018 and, you know, Cory Bush winning a primary mm-hmm. in, in Missouri last week and uh, talk about yeah. a, a female VP under Joe Biden. Like, what do you mm-hmm. think it's going to take? You know, th- these are all little steps and they feel like progress. But when you look at the overall picture, I think it's still what, 25% or something at the legislature. Like we're not, we're not even close to 50%. Like what is it going to take to get there as a country? Do you think? I think it is about making small steps. Look, I would have loved to have had a female president in office this past go round. Um, I think having a female VP will be hugely influential. I think that sends the right message and also just having someone in the White House who can advocate for for women and for issues that really make a huge difference in our lives. But I do think it's just a series of small steps like that. I'm very encouraged by the last couple of years, and I'm hopeful for this next election. Having female representation in our government matters because you need those voices in the room to fight for issues that that affect us. And if we're not in the room, we can't advocate for ourselves. I see it at The Daily Show we just in terms of, of issues that we decide to talk about, it's imperative that we have women in the room because the things that we want to talk about, you know, it, it might take it coming from us. Or maybe there's an issue that, that really affects women that, you know, the men in the room want to talk about, but it might take a woman in the room raising their hand and saying, I actually think from my experience, from my point of view, we need to approach it from this angle. This yeah. is what feels most honest to me. And if, if women aren't there to say that, then you're not reaching that audience or you're not you're not passing along that legislation that makes a different difference in those lives. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like that has been one of the real high points of sort of Trevor's uh, tenure with the show of just sort of yeah. really having lots of very different voices and different perspectives represented. And, you know, it, it gives you a chance as an audience to sort of consider all these points of view that, as you say, if, if there weren't that representation, and I'm, I'm talking broadly, you know, uh, racially yeah. and gender and, you know, even Trevor having the African perspective, like it just yes. it gives you such a richer point of view of everything and, and a fuller perspective, I guess, that you, you don't always get if you're only looking at, you know, your small 
point of view on the issue, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, being in those rooms and hearing conversations and, and opinions and thoughts and pitches from all different perspectives has been incredibly eye-opening for me being in that room and for our audience. I mean, we're able to reach so many different people coming from all different racial backgrounds, gender, cultural and I think we're just able to reach so many more people with having diversity in our show from, from all angles and every department and, and the issues that we cover. If you look at the correspondence, we all come from very different backgrounds. Yeah. It's really a, a huge blessing to be part of that group. Yeah, no, totally. And I want to talk to, you know, as we're talking about sort of women's issues in general and, you know, specifically in late night television, I guess, you know, Samantha mm-hmm. B and, and her show is, is, you know, sort of the most obvious, you know, fronted by, by a woman host and uh, lots of female correspondents, you know, Amber Ruffin yeah. makes appearances on, on uh, Seth's show and you sort of overlapped with, with both Jessica Williams at the beginning of your tenure and, and now Dulce Sloan, but it still feels like yeah. a very male dominated space, late night TV, right? Yeah. Like, what do you, what it do you is. think it takes to, to flip that or to change that? Uh, just wait till those contracts are up, man. <laughs> Try to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. No, I, I know. I, I do. I agree with you. I think that there definitely needs to be more women in late night, more more diversity in general. Lily Singh had a great season this past first oh, season. Yeah. I see, really enjoyed watching her work. And I totally forgot yeah. about her. That's that's part of the blind yeah. spot. Too. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And I think this is, she just finished her first season, yeah. um, but she did a phenomenal job and she's been really unapologetic about what she speaks about and being very honest and forthright with her own identity and her own opinions. And it's really, that's been really inspiring. And I think it's, you know, I, I do think it's changing. I think that there are more opportunities for people in TV in general, because there are so many more platforms right now. As far as like the big broadcast channels, I, I would like to see a little more diversity in there. You know, uh, I'm hopeful that that'll, that that'll change. But um, I, Sam is doing an incredible job. I'm such a fan of her show. And, yeah. and I think the more those shows being on the air, putting out great material, and, and getting critical acclaim for it, like Sam has, I mean, that's huge. And right. it, hopefully that gives the network executives, you know, a little more permission to take some chances and start thinking about hiring women, you know, and, but the audiences also need to watch it. If you want to see more of that out there, you got to watch those shows, support those shows. No, it's true. And, you know, <laughs> people, people need to recognize that it's, it's important to watch. Um, I want to yeah. ask too, just sort of, you know, talking about Sam B and, and thinking about, like, I feel like in late night, there's sort of two camps right now. There's like the, the John Stewart descendants, you know, John Oliver and Colbert and, and Sam. And then there's like the Lauren Michaels camp of, you know, Jimmy and Seth and those guys like thinking, you know, 15, 20 years from now, if there's like a Trevor Noah <laughs> camp of comedy, like, what do you, oh, what do you yeah. think, what do you think the offshoots of, of this particular time of the daily show and sort of the crew that you're in there with now, like, you know, when you guys all branch out and, and move on to other projects, what do you think that's going to look like? Oh man, I don't know. I think it'll look different for everybody. I think, you know, we all have different skill sets, but what I will say is that the thing that we all share coming out of this era of the daily show is that, you know, whatever we decide to do from here, I think we want to say something yeah. with it. The days of just sort of doing comedy just for comedic value are, are kind of over for us. You know, I think that we all 
are so fortunate in that we get to kind of make comedy out of issues that matter and put a spotlight on something that matters to us that we want to bring a voice to. And so I, I think all of us will continue to do that. And I think there's also, there's a lot of honesty in the Trevor era and the way that he talks about things and, you know, not, not quite feeling so much pressure to hit joke for joke for joke for joke for joke, but to, yeah. to have really honest conversations and let the comedy come out of that. And I, I think, you know, hopefully that'll continue on. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man, it's been such a, such a great ride that I'm going to, I'm going to stick it out for as long as they'll have me there. That's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I, I feel like too, these conversations don't really end. Like, I, I feel like if you look back, I don't know, 20 years ago or something, there was sort of a goalpost in mind and people would, you know, protest or make noise or whatever to get to that goalpost. And then once that was met, it was sort of like, okay, things can simmer down. And I feel like maybe it's just the Trump era, but, you know, sort of layering me too on top of that and George Floyd and Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. And like, I feel like the goalposts just continue to move in a very good way. They're, they're moving in the right direction. Right. And it's not just like, okay, you know, we need, we need gender equality in the workplace. It's like, okay, good. You got us to there. Now we need to work on racial equality or, you know, whatever it is like you, you in, in your, uh, in your special talking to people in Iceland and saying, okay, we're the number one country in gender equality, but we're not there yet. You know, <laughs> like we're at the right, top, exactly. but there's still work to go. Like, I feel like that's sort of the conversation that's going to continue. And, and as you say, just being honest in that and, and you know, getting people to, to recognize that and, and move in that direction. Yeah, I really think so. And, I, and you know, our, our show reaches a, a pretty young audience, too. And young people are not satisfied with mediocre results. Like, yeah. it is always about, okay, great, what's next? Yeah. What's next? What's next? What, what do we need? What goals do we need to reach from here? Because we are not... We're not done. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully things continue to be on the upswing, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's funny, too, just thinking about young people. And like, I remember that that stat came out. This is like the early 2000s, probably that more young people were getting their news from Jon Stewart than from a traditional broadcaster. Yeah. And like at the time, I think people were like, what is this? What's going on? How can this <laughs> right. be? And now it's almost like that. That's kind of a good thing. Like you guys are packaging it with comedy. But there is a lot of commentary yeah. there. There is a lot of activism there. And there is a lot of, you know, it, it motivates people to want to do better. And that's really important. Yeah, I, I'm grateful that if, if people say that that's how they're getting their information, cool. Like, we, we do hold a certain responsibility with the comedy that we do, to be honest and to report facts accurately. And we have people at The Daily Show, producers whose entire job it is to make sure that everything that we're saying is completely accurate. So yeah, even though it's a comedy show, we do have a a certain responsibility because we know that certain people might only get their information from us. And that's okay. I mean, that's, if, if that's how we're engaging with people, then great. At least they're, they're getting that information from somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) They got to get it from somewhere. (laughs) Other than Fox News, for the right. love of God, <laughs> anything but that. We'll watch uh, watch the Desi Explainers of Fox News, but not the actual. There, there you go. Not the actual. There network. you go. All right, Desi Lydic. The Daily Show airs weeknights at eleven o'clock on Comedy Central, and uh, if you can, again, go check out Desi's special abroad. It is so funny. You'll learn so much from it. 
Again, I found it on Vudu. It's also on iTunes. And if you're a Comedy Central subscriber on cable, you can verify your cable subscription and watch it on their website. And Comedy Central, if you're listening, put it on YouTube. Put a place people can see it. It's such a good special. And I really want more people to see it. It's so good. All right. Thursday's show, continuing the conversation about women in late night. Allison Camillo from Full Frontal with Samantha B is here. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Leave me a note there. Let me know what you like, what you want to see more of. And I'll talk to you on Thursday. Have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>